Welcome to the Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast series. I'm Kit Duval and I've worked with the festival director Chantal Edwards as guest curator of this year's podcast series. Each Thursday, across the next few months, we'll be releasing new episodes of the podcast, including wonderful discussions about writing, poetry, big ideas and social issues. In this podcast, we're joined by novelist Elisa Shuadusapin, whose debut novel, Winter in Sock Show, was translated and published in the UK this year. Elisa's novel follows a young French-Korean woman who works as a receptionist in a tired guest house in a deserted tourist town on the border between South and North Korea and the uneasy relationship she forms with a Frenchman who checks into the hotel. Joined by her translator, Anissa Abbas-Higgins, they discuss shared identities, isolation, and the relationship between writing and translation. This episode of the Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast is supported by the Swiss Arts Council Pro Helvetia. Thank you all for tuning in. My name is Sandra van Lente. I'm a freelance cultural project manager and academic who works on the lack of diversity in the publishing industries. I have the great pleasure to introduce you to today's guests on the Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast series, Elisa Souadusapin and Anissa Abbas-Higgins. Elisa Souadusapin is a Franco-Korean author who lives in Switzerland and who wrote the novel Winter in Sokcho, which we will be talking about today. Her debut novel was originally written in French and published by the Swiss indie publisher Edition Zoe. Winter in Sokcho was translated into 13 languages, if I'm not mistaken, among them English, translated by Anissa Abbas-Higgins and published by Daunt Books, and German, translated by Andreas Jandl and published by Blumenbaum. Elisa has won several prizes for her novels, among them the Robert Balzer Prize, the Prix Alpha and the French Prix Régine des Forges for Winter in Sokcho. She has two more novels out that we might hear about more later. Anissa Abbas-Higgins is a literary translator and translates from French to English. She spends most of her time between London and a small village in France. In addition to Elisa Souadusapin's novel, she has also translated from Taha Benjaloun, Nina Bouraoui and Venus Kurigata. Her translations won several awards, for example her translation of the Goncourt winner What Became of the White Savage by François Garde, and her translation of A Girl Called Eel by Alisa Mir, which was published by the indie publisher Jacaranda Books in 2019. Anissa has kindly agreed to translate those of Elisa's answers that she might give in French today. Thank you both for joining us for this podcast. Can we please start with you, Elisa, and how you became an author? So, how and why did you start writing? Um, bonjour à tous. Je suis devenue écrivain, je vais pas dire par hasard, mais disons que ça a jamais été une, une volonté spécifique. She, she never, it wasn't that she specifically always wanted to become a writer. It was more a question of questions that she had herself about the multicultural um, upbringing that she'd had, being a mixture of Korean and French. Je suis allée pour la première fois en Corée du Sud, euh, donc dans le pays de, de ma mère, et ça a été un, un grand choc pour moi de réaliser que il y avait un endroit au monde où ma famille n'était pas une exception. So um, when she was 13, she went to Korea for the first time, and it came as quite a shock to her to realize that her family was not unique, that there were plenty of other people in the world like her, and it made her start thinking about things, and it made her. It made her start to read a great deal, and, and as she was reading, she began to realize that 
writing might be a way of addressing the questions she, that, that she had about her own identity. Et ensuite, quand j'ai été au, au lycée, j'ai eu la chance d'avoir de, des, des professeurs de français qui m'ont vraiment encouragée à, à commencer à écrire. Et so Elise was very lucky to have some wonderful teachers when she was um, in high school who encouraged her to write. And she began writing, not never thought about writing novels, she was writing short texts that were to do with her French-Korean identity. And it gradually grew into what became the novel, Winter in Sokcho, that in fact she wrote between the ages of 17 and 21, but she never thought about getting it published, and it was, wasn't published until she was 23, and that again was only encouragement of a former teacher. Thanks a lot for sharing this, um, Elisa. So can you share with us what did you set out to explore in your first novel? Je crois que pour moi, une des impulsions premières, c'était l'envie de... De créer un personnage qui était comme un... So she said she wanted to write a, a create a, a character who was something of a mirror image of herself, um, the opposite in a way, but the same. So a young woman who had grown up in Korea and who knew the French language through literature and, and, and studying, and and who also had this feeling of being a foreigner, a stranger in her own land, even though she understood the culture and the language, and that um, she had the same feeling of being out of place. But in two places, also. C'est aussi un livre que j'ai commencé à écrire pendant l'adolescence, à la fin de l'adolescence, à une période où on se pose beaucoup de questions aussi, je crois, sur le, le rapport au corps, le rapport à l'identité en général, le rapport à l'image aussi. Et j'avais envie. She started writing as she was coming out of adolescence, in age when you know we're thinking a great deal about our body, our relationship to our body, our body image, our own image, and she wanted to write something about the great um, the, the violence really that is done to women in South Korea in terms of the um, pressure to have plastic surgery done on on one's face to make one conform to a certain image, and how the young woman, the character in her novel, um, relates to all of this violence and body image and pressure to have a, to have one's face look a certain way. Was there a, a character that you found more difficult to write than the others, Elisa, and if so, uh, why? Oui, euh, je pense que le personnage masculin, euh, Kéran, qui est l'auteur de bande dessinée qui vient de France et qui arrive à, à Sokcho, pour moi c'était... The male character, Kiran, it, it was, was the most challenging, not, not so much difficult, but he was a character who she didn't at first imagine that he would have to have a whole um, a life story, history, be a, a fully rounded person. She just wanted him to be there as an example of the male gaze. His function was to play the role of the male gaze and so the narrator, the female narrator, could be reflected through him. So he, at first, he had a, he, all he had was a function. The rest, the rest of him, as a, a person, was something of a mystery to her. I would like to move on to the translation process then. Um, Anissa, how did this book come to you, and um, why did you choose to do the translation? Well, in fact, this was one of the books that I did find myself because it doesn't always work that way. You know, sometimes one is presented with a book and asked to translate it. But this one, I did find myself. Um, I found it when I'm when I'm in France. I always spend a lot of time lurking in my local bookshop looking for interesting books, and I found the, the book sitting on the table there in the new public, the recent publications. And it was a very, very hot few days. We often have heat waves, very, very intense heat waves. So it was a very hot afternoon. I picked up this little book. I liked the title. Um, I flicked through it, took it home and read it in one sitting. And I was absolutely entranced. And I was entranced 
I'm sure the fact that it was so hot and the book was taking me to a place that was so cold, a blast of fresh air, but I fell in love with the way it was written and I was completely seduced by by the book and I thought I would love to translate this. So I set about doing a sample and submitting it to publishers and um, I was very fortunate it was it was picked up by the magazine Asymptote and Elisa was featured as one of their new French voices in, in a feature they were doing with my translation of the, of the opening chapter. And so one thing led to another and that led to Daunt Books finding it and asking me to translate it. So here we are um, a couple of years later. Amazing, thanks for sharing that. Um, and Anissa, um, what were the major challenges for you for the translation? Every book has its own, has its own challenges. I mean, what you want to do is to recreate the author's voice as best as you can in English and, and also to give the reader the same or as close as possible to the same experience that you have when you read it in French. So creating a translation is about a lot more than simply figuring out what the words mean. It's much more a question of digging beneath the images and finding how those images are conveyed. And this is a book which is full of intense imagery. There's, some of it is quite visceral, some of it is very atmospheric. Um, it is very visual, but it's also full of smells and, and tastes and, and so the challenge was to, to convey the, the, the same images into English and to reflect um, Elisa's incredible economy of language. She has a great talent for using very few words to conjure something very rich and, and very, very, something, something that is so appealing to the imagination. So, yes, I would say the fact that, I mean, it was quite, it's quite a short book. There is quite a lot of empty space on the page. It's, it, but it, it, took a very long time because in a way it's like translating poetry. Every word has to be carefully weighed up, not only against the French, but also against all the other words in its in its little network. You know, words exist in a network, they slip and slide, they they their meanings their meanings and values and sounds and tones and rhythms can all change, you know, according to how you place them on the page. So all of these things were part of the challenge and the pleasure, because it is a great pleasure. <laughs> Oh yeah, I hear you. Um, Elisa, did you feel that you had to explain or maybe also translate some parts of Korean cultural aspects to French or Swiss readers? And if so, how did you decide what you explained in more detail and what not? En fait, j'ai jamais pensé en termes de explication de la culture coréenne à un lectorat quelconque. Premièrement, parce que je n'imaginais pas de lecteur quand j'étais en train d'écrire. She never thought that she was trying to teach or tell or, 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 or she did anybody about Korean culture. That wasn't her idea at all, because for her, Korean culture was simply part of her life. She lived it. She grew up hearing hearing the language spoken, eating food. You know, it was very much part of her, her, her life. And the last thing she wanted to do was to create a novel that was in any way didactic. So really her approach was much more that she wanted to just immerse the reader. Uh, although, she, although, as she said, when she was writing, she wasn't even imagining being read. She had no idea of a reader in mind. But in a way, what she was doing was she was trying to create a universe that, that, immerse, that immerses us in, in the world of this Korean culture as she knows it, which I think she does very well. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, as a reader, I really enjoyed that too. And I'm asking this question because I know that there are some other publishers who feel a bit different about that and might maybe put some pressure, especially on debut authors to, well, yeah, explain a bit more for a different cultural context. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't feel this pressure at all. Can I ask you too, um, how did you work together? Was it a close co collaboration and 
can you share a bit about that? Um, Anissa, first, please. Yes, we did work together. In some ways, I was, you know, I was, I was very fortunate that Elisa was so responsive to my questions. My approach with uh, asking authors questions is to, what I usually do is I wait till I finish my first draft. And I think I did that this time. I hope I did. Um, because what I try to do is I try to keep a running track of my questions as I go through it. And some of them will answer themselves as I go along, as they go along. So I do try to wait until I've got some questions that I know are worthy of, you know, the, the, the author's input. And then I also found that as we were editing it, some of the questions that came back to me from the editor, Shelka, who was did a superb job, I have to say, of editing, the, the questions that she asked me forced me to ask myself again whether I had fully understood or whether what I had understood was, you know, the only, whether there were better ways of understanding. So... I don't think as far as proofreading, but certainly we kept on coming back to her. And she was great. She always sent me very long, considered answers. And we communicate in a mixture of English and French. You know, I sometimes write to her in English and she answers me in French. And we're both quite happy with that. So, yeah. And they weren't necessarily questions about specific words and details of words. They really were more to do with um, the ideas um, that un underlying the images, clarifying that I had understood them in a way that Elisa, because some, English sometimes needs to spell things out a little more than French does. You know, in French, it's, it is a little bit more possible to present an idea in such a way that it remains quite elusive and ambiguous, that doesn't work so well in English, and that sometimes one does have to pin it down a little more in English, just because the language demands it. For me, ça a été Ça a été magnifique cette collaboration parce que, à plusieurs niveaux, déjà, j'ai été très touchée de voir le soin que Anissa apportait à la, à la compréhension fine de ce que j'avais voulu exprimer. Après, pour moi, très she personnellement, um, of course, I was going to ask all those questions, but um, but she also said that because when she was writing it, in fact, in her head, none of the characters were actually speaking French anyway. They were speaking English or they were speaking Korean. So being asked to explain in greater detail what was meant by some of the things that were said or some of the things behind the characters sort of plunged her into a, 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 an understanding that the book had it had gone beyond her that it was it was it was could be interpreted and understood and translated in all the different senses of the word and it um, it was quite a you know it was, it was quite a revelation to her. thank you very much and uh, elisa do you always work so closely with your translators and um, can you maybe share some of the experience you made with different translators j'ai pas la chance de travailler comme ça avec tous les traducteurs. Avec Anissa, ça a été particulièrement riche, la collaboration. Elisa n'a pas travaillé aussi proche avec ses autres traducteurs. Et la collaboration que nous avons eue était particulièrement riche. La traduction allemande, qui est une langue que je peux aussi parler et comprendre, ça, je pense que ça a été tout aussi... La collaboration avec les autres traducteurs n'était pas aussi riche que la collaboration que nous avons eue pour la traduction allemande. Pour la traduction allemande, c'était intéressant parce que c'est une autre langue qu'elle comprend et qu'elle est capable de suivre it more closely um, and appreciate it more with the and, and also with the Korean because she does understand and speak Korean but 
she had no contact at all with the Korean translator, and she would have liked to have done. And she finds that the, she found that reading the Korean translation, there's a feeling of strangeness because the translator stuck very closely to the structures of French language, and the effect that that has in Korean, it makes it seem very foreign and very strange, which is an interesting point um, because it is something that is just as is me adding this now that you know that goes backwards and forwards in the translation world, should one aim for that feeling of foreignness because you know, this is a translation, or should one aim to give a translation which is a more authentic rendering of the effect that the book has on the reader. So that's an interesting point. Et c'est vrai que pour moi, c'était pas quelque chose de négatif en soi. Simplement, j'aurais aimé avoir un contact avec le traducteur pour lui demander quelles étaient ses raisons et ses ressentis personnels par rapport à ce texte, parce que moi j'avais envie de créer le personnage d'une femme qui est euh, qui a l'impression de ne pas vraiment exister dans ce corps. Negative opinion at all of the Korean translation. So she would have liked to have had more communication with the translator. For example, um, in in the Korean language, um, the subject pronoun I is is avoided. It's not used, whereas in French it's used quite a lot. And that um, Elise's character in Winter and Sokchu, um, the main character, is is a young woman who is in fact um, she, she's almost like she's a voice in search of a body. Um, she's a, she's a, a, a young woman who's looking for her for herself. She's unsure of herself. But in the Korean translation, because of the use of the pronoun I, it, she comes across as, as as much more of a of a a much more assured person, much more pers person who's much surer of herself, which is a, a strange strange quirk and slightly difference. Thank you two very much. Um, now we have heard a lot about the book. Can we please hear from the book now? Um, Elisa, would you mind starting the reading, please? À l'arrêt de bus, nous étions seuls. Alors vous êtes français? De Normandie. At the bus stop, there was no one but us. So you're French? From Normandy. I nodded to show I understood. You've heard of it? I've read Maupassant. He turned to look at me. How do you picture it? I thought for a moment. Pretty, a bit melancholy. Well, it's changed since Maupassant's day. I'm sure it has. Like Sokju. Caron didn't reply. He'd never understand what Sokju was like. You had to be born here. Live through the winters. The smells. The octopus, the isolation. Do you read a lot? He asked. I used to, before I went to university. I used to love reading. Now it's more of a chore. He nodded, tightened his grip on the package he was holding. What about you? Do I read? What do you do for a living? I draw comics. The word comics didn't sound right coming from him. It conjured up images of conventions, queuing fans. Maybe he was famous. I didn't read comic books. Is your story set here? I don't know yet. Maybe. Are you on holiday? There's no such thing as a holiday in my line of work. That evening, he wasn't there again at dinner. Feeling emboldened after our walk, I took him a tray of food that was less spicy than the meal, meal served to the other guests. 
He was sitting on the edge of the bed, his stooping figure silhouetted against the paper wall. The door had been left ajar. Pressing my face to the doorframe, I could see his hand moving over a sheet of paper. He'd placed the paper on top of a box on his lap. The pencil between his fingers was finding its way, moving forwards and backwards, hesitating, searching again. The point hadn't yet touched the paper. Caron began to draw, with uneven strokes. He went over the lines several times, as if to erase and correct, etching the contours into the paper. The image was impossible to make out. Branches of a tree, or a heap of scrap metal, perhaps. Eventually, I recognized the shape of an eye, a dark eye, beneath a tangle of hair. The pencil continued in its path, until a female form emerged, eyes a bit too large, a tiny mouth. She was perfect. He should have stopped there. But he carried on, going over the features, gradually twisting the lips, warping the chin, distorting the image. Then, taking a pen, he daubed ink slowly and purposefully over the paper until the woman was nothing more than a black, misshapen blob. He placed a sheet of paper on the desk. Ink dripped down onto the floor. A spider scuttled into view and started to run up his leg, but he made no move to brush it away. He looked down at his handiwork. In an instinctive movement, he tore off a corner of the sheet and began to chew on it. I was afraid he'd see me. I put the tray down silently and left. Thanks a lot, Elisa and Anissa. If you um, want to read it in full now, Anissa's translation of Elisa's novel Winter in Sokcho was published this year by Don't Books. And maybe as a last question, um, what are you currently working on, Elisa? And um, can you share something about your new book? J'ai un, un troisième roman qui vient de, de paraître uh, en, en août cet automne, qui s'appelle Vladivostok Circus. Et juste vraiment. Elisa's third novel has just been published this August, and its the title is Vladivostok Circus, and it's a story about uh, a trio who perform the very dangerous discipline of the Russian bar. They are creating a new act. They're based in, in, in Vladivostok, and the novel is told from the point of view of a young costume designer who comes to Vladivostok from Switzerland to work with them and um, who gets to know them and, and has to work with them on the level of trying to understand and become, um, get inside this vitally important bond of trust that has to exist between the three performers for them to carry out this extremely dangerous circus discipline. So that's what that novel is about. Apart from that, um, Elisa has been working on the cinema adaptation of Winter in Sokcho, and she's also been creating a, a, a young adult play, which will be being performed in January. And she, when she has finished a novel, she needs to do something else for a while. Um, she writes in other areas too, and um, in order to distance herself from the novel, the, the, the novel is completed before she can begin on the 
very long task of creating another novel. Thank you very much, Elisa and Anissa, for participating in this podcast and for sharing so openly. I hope you two get to work together on the next translation too. I know there are many people looking forward to it. Thanks a lot and goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to tell us about it. Leave us a review and a rating. Find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Beham Lit Fest. And take a look at the rest of this year's digital programme on our website at www.birminghamliteraturefestival.org. You can download our latest podcast episodes every Thursday from all the places you would normally get your podcasts. Until then, happy reading. The Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast is curated by Chantal Edwards and produced by 11C and Birmingham Podcast Studios for Writing West Midlands.